the worst bestsellers, where we read about definitely not hypnotism, so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard. Joining us to discuss the core text of Scientology is freelance editor, air traffic controller, and suppressive person, Sigrid. Hi, Sigrid. Hello, all. Hello. So. I have to say, I think... (laughs) I think that we've made a severe mistake, Kate. I think we really um, should have followed through and started Nora Roberts fan club. And then we could have read a Nora Roberts book instead of this. It is true. Um, so I think we've said before on the podcast that we need to make a like chart that goes from a really good book that we liked to The Christmas Sweater, which was previously the worst book we ever read. I say previously because this is the worst book we've ever read. It really is. I really, we need to make a certificate for Sigrid to just I, appreciate her dedication. Well, I kind of feel like this is a little bit my fault because That's, I was, I was reading Going Clear, the Scientology expose and talking about how awful it sounded. And I'm pretty sure I emailed you guys to say, are you ever going to cover Dianetics? It's true. You did do that. Although we had been talking about it a little bit before that, I think. Uh, I think it was right around the time... Kate and I both have both also read read Going Clear, and I think this is around the time the Going Clear documentary came out, or was going to come out. Yes. I think that's yeah. when we first started talking about doing Dianetics. And now we read it. Yeah. So I guess I think a lot of people probably have read or seen Going Clear. I think a lot of people are familiar with kind of the more zany aspects of Scientology, um, the Thetans and the aliens and Xenu and like whatever. And uh, actually none of that is in Dianetics. Um, it is still pretty cuckoo bananas, but it's, it's sort of what you read before you're able to ascend to that level. Dianetics is, is the gateway drug for Scientology. It is the thing that almost makes sense. Almost kind of, occasionally around corners and then if you manage to make all of that work and buy in then they tell you about the things right yeah and if like uh, going on the assumption that well i guess for people who haven't read going clear which we will definitely recommend when we get to that portion of the show essentially l ron hubbard went through a whole bunch of different scams and cheats and different ways to fuck over his various ex-wives and get money and writing Dianetics was kind of like the latest of these where he took like all of the weird pseudo-psychology that he used to explain why he was the way he was and tried to sell it to his influential friends and succeeded in some aspects and knowing that as you read it you can definitely kind of see the seeds of that within the book. Okay, so it's... This book is 500 plus pages long. It's got, like, a glossary. It's got so much stuff in it. And I think the real short version of Dianetics is not too different from The Secret, um, the self-help book that we read earlier on in Worst Bestsellers, if you haven't heard that episode or heard of The Secret. I think, as best I understand it, the principles of Dianetics are that all of your problems in like in life, like physical health, mental health, all those problems are caused by engrams, 
which are like a kind of mental block that are caused by early negative memories that you don't oh, consciously not memories. No? Remember, not memories. Okay. Memories are different. These are recordings. <sighs> oh, right, right, yeah. But basically memories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he... He makes up a lot of words for this, such as engrams, or just repurposes them. And the the very first page of the book is just stressing that if you don't understand a word, because he made it up, um, you have to look it up and find out what it is, or you'll never understand Dianetics. Like, you have to understand every single word. And I I don't think you could ever really understand Dianetics. I feel like the you have to understand every single word in order for you to understand it is kind of the you can never stop thinking positive thoughts or else it will never happen of the secret it's kind of like the built-in well if it's not working for you it's because you're wrong and here's the reason why exactly that you're you're not working hard enough yeah exactly and then um so these recordings, not memories. Um, and you can remember things back from, like, when you're a fetus. You can remember things all the way from the moment of, like, you're, you as the sperm that eventually would fertilize the egg and become you. Yes. Um, but in this, he does not go into past lives that you can remember, which higher up in Scientology is a thing. In Dianetics, it's strictly only... From the first sperm in this present life is where your memories and recordings begin. And so, like The Secret, it posits, like, a very literal universe. Only the universe is you, I guess. (laughs) So, like, if while your mother was pregnant with you, your father said, you can't do that, then that maybe would become an engram for you and you would have this imprinted in you and think that you can't do things but really what your dad was telling your mom was you can't abort this unborn child because what L. Ron Hubbard seems to think is that literally every pregnant woman ever tried at least once to abort their baby and often failed, and that's why we're all so upset. He has yeah. got a weird, serious fixation on Lysol douches and knitting needle abortions. It yeah. is. I mean, I cannot exaggerate how often that's in there. But yeah. so that's what causes your problems. And then the way to to fix them and get rid of your engrams is through Dianetic auditing, which is not therapy, not hypnotism, Dianetic auditing. And your auditor can identify these engrams. And then to get rid of them, you have to repeat them over and over until they're removed from your brain. Yeah. If you keep going over them in your mind and like reliving them you're able to take it out of your reactive brain yeah out of your reactive reactive brain and store it in your memory banks so that it can be accessed if you want to access it for whatever reason but you don't have to relive it and it won't affect you any more negatively you summarized that super clearly so if any (laughs) of you listeners are confused what that was was the absolute clearest summary of that principle, more better than you will find in the book. Is it is it a capital C clear summary though? Oh God, no! No, I'm a suppressive person. Remember, I'm not going to clear anything. Um, yeah, capital C clear, um, like in going clear. That's the goal of Dianetic auditing, and that's when you you're clear if you've gotten rid of all your engrams. 
Actually, you know, does he ever say... I don't think he says suppressive persons in Dianetics. I think that's something that comes about later. But he does talk about people who will re-stimulate your engrams. And that's often your parents. So you can see how this would evolve into, you know, present-day Scientology where your kids are raised in, like, a commune because they're not supposed to be with their parents because they'll re-stimulate your engram or whatever. I have a technical question which none of us can answer, which is if your parents are Scientologists, then presumably they did not serially try to murder you in the womb. So why then do you, as a Dianetics child, a Scientology child, end up with engrams? Well, and also, I mean, um, like Katie Holmes, I remember reading an article about this and we'll link to it. Uh, I found one of them. Like she had to give a silent birth because... Um, you know, if yeah. you cry out in pain while you're giving birth, that causes engrams. But what I don't really understand is Dianetics seems to posit that almost literally anything that the mother says while she's pregnant could somehow cause an engram because the brain is so literal. Mm-hmm. And even stuff like if she bumps into a table or, oh, God, if she has sex while she's pregnant, that's raping the baby. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. I had repressed that. No, that's in there. Yeah. And even like no matter how early on in the pregnancy it is. So it seems like basically anything that the mother does while if she is like alive and moving in the world could create an engram. So I don't know. But yeah, but if she's clear, then it shouldn't. Yeah. So and- the the too long didn't read is L. Ron Hubbard hates women and doctors, and the podcast is done, right? Yeah, I think we can <laughs> call it a day. So his doctor thing, that's another thing in here. He thinks doctors are horrible sadists, and he has a particular hard on of rage and hatred against dentists. Yeah. Did you guys catch that? <laughs> yeah. 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 Like all I can think, and psychologists are his are his his bête noire. Psychologists <laughs> are his prime villains, and I can only surmise from reading Going Clear and the other attempts to get Ron's backstory that that he must have had encountered them while he was in the army, and they said he was a crazy fuck, and he said, "Oh God, that can't be right," and so he decided to hate psychologists. But anyway. He believes that doctors and dentists, because they sedate you and then they talk to other people, oh, are yeah, responsible that's a, there's for a lot all about that. psychosis that mothers are not responsible for. Yeah, mothers and doctors will pretty much cause 95%. There's a little bit. Occasionally it could be a father, but mostly it's the mother. And usually it seems if it's the father, it's the father reacting to the mother or like beating the mother because she's not either trying to abort you mm-hmm. or and he wants to stop it or trying to get her to abort you and she doesn't want to so he's attacking her stomach right right i mean i don't i do not think that we can exaggerate how much abortion Ron hubbard thinks is happening or failing to happen yeah. I mean, it's, it's literally, like, this book, I would estimate if you pulled out all the abortion-related talk, it would be 100 pages easily of this 500. I literally opened to a random page, and on the random page, he's talking about abortion. Like, it's... 
I, 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 yeah, we can't stress enough that this is just, he, he's got a, he's got a, an issue or two around this. I opened to a random page and actually it doesn't have abortion, but it does have, um, sex while pregnant being baby rape. So that's, I think, all in the same general vein. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't even, it's so weird and it's so long very it repeats itself over and over again in like slightly different ways and sometimes in ways that directly contradict other parts of it well my favorite contradiction is the section where he is explaining what um auditing is and he repeatedly in almost every paragraph explains that this is not hypnosis um it's hypnosis like i read it it's hypnosis. That's what he's describing. He's describing hypnosis. But he spends page after page in his description of his hypnosis explaining to you that this is not hypnosis because hypnosis is, of course, incredibly damaging and a tool of psychologists and psychiatrists used to mask engrams. Whereas his process, the auditor says, I'm quoting from page 244 really quickly here, when I count from one to seven, your eyes will close. The auditor then counts from one to seven and keeps counting quietly and pleasantly until the patient, patient closes his eyes. A tremble of the lashes will be noticed in optimum reverie. This is the entire routine. This is not hypnotism. It is vastly different. Right. I mean, I'm... Just because you say a word has a different definition, Ron, does not make that word a different word. See, science which is a word he uses repeatedly, repeatedly in the course of this book. And for the first 275 pages, every time he said, this isn't opinion, this is science, I underlined it and wrote, that's not fucking science, Ron, in the margin. <laughs> and at page 270, I gave up. <laughs> There's a Scientology glossary in here. Let me read the Scientology definition of science and we can see how we feel about it. My margin notes consist almost exclusively of me saying, what the fuck? Okay, science. Knowledge, comprehension, or understanding of facts or principles classified and made available in work, life, or the search for truth. A science is a connected body of demonstrated truths or observed facts systematically organized and bound together under general laws. It includes trustworthy methods for the discovery of new truth within its domain and denotes the application of scientific methods in fields of study previously considered open only to theories based on subjective, historical, or undemonstrable abstract criteria. The word science is used in this sense, the most fundamental meaning and tradition of the word, and not in the sense of the physical or material sciences. Ron, science <laughs> is a systematic enterprise that builds and organizes knowledge in the form of testable explanations and predictions about the universe from Wikipedia. Mm, I don't know. I think I'm, I mean, he wrote it down. It's in the glossary. So I think that's probably accurate. His misuse of the word science is probably the thing that I fixated on as the thing I was going to string him up for if I ever met him in, you know, the higher realms. <laughs> Not the abortion thing or the perversion thing, the science thing. That's the one that offended me the most. He put yeast in the glossary of this. When did he even talk about yeast in here? Why oh do we God. need to know what yeast is? 
What is this for? Okay, what does he say it is? A microscopic single-celled organism capable of converting sugar into alcohol and carbon dioxide, and hence used for producing alcohol in beer and wine and for making bread rise. <laughs> oh, Why yeah. is that in the glossary? I don't know, but it is. Maybe uh, he really wanted a Y word. <laughs> Um, I guess the Yanks are coming. A quotation from the musical over there in the glossary. This is the weirdest thing. Um, I guess he does talk a little bit about how you're not supposed to have alcohol because I forget why, but maybe that's when he talked about yeast. (laughs) Well, it says it's on page nine of the synopsis. Oh, do we want to talk about the structure of this book and the 12 page synopsis and the instructions on how to read it? Does anyone want to cover that? Yeah. I, no, I don't. But it- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the book literally starts with... Oh, do read um, that. A letter to the reader. Oh, and it also... Mine has a, this book belongs to blank. Like, you're going to write your name in it so it doesn't get mixed up with everybody else's Dianetics. Do, do, we, do we have the important note which opens with victim blaming? Oh, no, that's after to the reader. This book starts itself like five times. There's like to the reader and then important note. And then there's like a, yeah, and then the synopsis. And then there is a chapter called how to read this book. After the synopsis. Yeah, after this. So like you've already read like, I don't know, 15 pages before you get to how to read this book. And the synopsis and all everything that we've described up until how to read this book comes before the table of contents. It's bananas. It's a strange thing to be harping on, but I think it is an important thing to get at how Hubbard is attempting to lure people in. And I'm going to talk just for a a minute about that, if that's okay with you guys. Please do. Go for it. And with some selected quotations here. I I was trying to explain this to my partner, Jennifer. I did a lot of this dramatically reading out loud to her because I couldn't get through it any other way. And she was working (laughs) on a big Lego project and I was sitting up and reading to her and swearing profusely. Um, But I think that what this book does is something that is really very clever. It opens with the idea that you can fix yourself. That whatever is making you unhappy in your life is within your power to fix. So from to the reader, which is the first page and under which you're supposed to sign your name to show this book belongs to you. From the to the reader note, it says that the attainment of the benefits and goals of Dianetics and Scientology requires each individual's dedicated participation as only through one's own efforts can they be achieved. Which, as we were talking about previously, is a little bit like the secret. Like, you can fix your life. If you're not happy, you can fix it. Then we move on to the important note. In reading this book, be very certain you never go past a word you do not fully understand. The only reason a person gives up a study or becomes confused or unable to learn is because he or she has gone past a word that was not understood. So what we get from these two things in conjunction is you can fix yourself. And if you can't fix yourself using this tool, you need to go back and study it harder. You need to work harder. And then if we get into the synopsis, which is 12 pages long, it says the clear, the goal of Dianetic therapy can be created from psychotic, neurotic, damaged, criminal, or normal people if they have organically sound nervous systems. 
The basic nature of mankind is that that basic nature has been found uniformly and invariably to be good. This is now an established scientific fact, not an opinion. That was the first part I wrote down. The mm-hmm. fuck? What you get if you read the synopsis before you even get how to read this book is the idea that L. Ron Hubbard knows that you, the person reading this, are not happy in your life. And he's got a method for you to be happy. And he knows that you are smart enough and capable enough and competent enough to master his system for happiness and health and goal achievement. He has faith that you can do it. And he'll be hard on you because he knows that you can actually do it. Basically, he's saying, if you're smart and you know you're smart and you're capable and you know you're capable and you're still not getting what you want in life, it is everybody else's fault. It's your mother's fault. It's your doctor's fault. It's society's fault. It's your drill sergeant's fault. It's your boss's fault because all these people give you engrams. And if you follow my system, I will help you and your innate perfect smart competentness to get rid of all these negative impacts in your life, which basically, if you do what he says, amounts to you dropping contact with everyone you've been in contact with, blowing everybody off, listening to no one but other Scientologists, and giving people lots and lots and lots of money so you can continue your auditing process. But I can see how it lures people in because smart people who aren't happy would really like it to be true that their smartness entitles them to happiness. Have we all noticed this? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's a good summary. What he says is, you are entitled to happiness based on the fact that you are smart enough to read my book. So he encourages everyone who doesn't understand the book to lie their asses off and say that they understand it and go along with everyone else who says they understand it. It's this wonderful self-perpetuating system of consensual mass delusion. Yeah, and the other, I feel like the other kind of thing that he slides in there is that, yes, everything that's wrong in your life is your mother's fault and your father's fault and doctor's fault and strangers on the street who said negative things when you were a fetus's fault, which I guess then would go back to your mother for daring to be on the street where people Ugh. say negative things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's on you to fix it, and you now have the tools to fix it, and if you can't fix it, then it's your fault, not my fault. You're doing it wrong, which is another sort of thing that encourages them to lie and stick around and pretend that they get it because otherwise... Have you, you guys know. Have you guys ever seen the movie G.I. Jane? No. No. Okay, there's a trope in a lot of uh, military movies, and I'm kind of a sucker for this trope, where the drill sergeant is a complete hard-ass and he breaks everybody down to build them all up because the drill sergeant is training people who will eventually be his superior. He's training officers. So he has to make you worse than him in order to make you better than him because ultimately you're going to be commanding him. Mm. It's a, a trope in a certain kind of military fiction. Okay. Very common. This book read to me like that. Like, he starts out saying... It's not your fault. All these people did things to you. And then he says, oh, it is your fault because you're using my system wrong. And then he says, but now you've mastered my system. Now you're the same as me. You're better than me. Well, no one's better than Ron. But now you're (laughs) in on it too. You can get there. It's this weird build you up victim blamey gaslighty bullshit that just is vile. Well, and, uh, you know, Scientology, I think, is run 
in some ways based on his Navy experiences. You know, like the Sea Org obviously comes out of that, the uniforms and all that. But also um, in Going Clear and Beyond Belief and other things about Scientology, you can read, like, the way that the Sea Org members and their kids are treated. You can see, you know, like, if you don't get it right, you just have to keep doing it. And so they talk about kids who are held in these classrooms. They just have to, like, repeat the same stuff over and over until they memorize all this bullshit Scientology word. And, you know, if, if they had worked harder, they would memorize it already. They wouldn't have to be there. And there's a lot of, um, you know, purification through hard labor in the Sea Org also. Um, if No, it's not the Sea Org. It's if you get kicked out of the Sea Org, you have to do the thing. Anyway, so I think they're definitely intentionally and maybe subconsciously or whatever the Scientology equivalent of that would be are similarities between Scientology and uh, military training. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like because because of the nature of this book, it's hard. I mean, it's not like a book that's a novel where there's a plot that we can follow to explain it to you. Uh, what, what I do suggest is that you don't bother trying to read this book if our no. explanations are incoherent. No, no, stay away. Not worth your time. Yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely do not try to read this book. It's not funny bad it's not interesting read the wikipedia article and move on with your life i every- yeah i was a little bit looking forward to reading this because i do enjoy reading about scientology and it just is i know on no level was it enjoyable not even like one page of it every no. 40 pages i gave myself chocolate yeah, yeah it's it's like printed bible style on like kind of slightly larger than a trade um and but the print is really big and there's space a lot of spacing between it and with all the glossary and everything at the end there's like 160 pages that you don't have to read so i was like oh this will be such a quick read like i'll just sit down and blow through it in a couple days like i normally do and it it took me weeks to read it because i'd read a page not understand anything that i read go back and read it again, give up on ever trying to understand it, move on, be filled with despair, put the book down. <laughs> yeah. Um, I The two weekends before this, I had different visitors staying with me, and each weekend, like, they would, you know, get up out of my guest room and come find me in the living room, and I'd be sitting there, like, angrily reading Scientology, cause I was, or reading Dianetics, because I wanted to read some of it. I had to make some progress, but... Uh, I have to imagine that's a really creepy feeling to, like, find your host reading Dianetics. (laughs) And, and, like, they both listen to the podcast. They both, like, got why I was doing it. But I was still like, I'm sorry. I just... I'd like to talk a little bit about the bestseller status of this book. Yeah. One of the things that happened was um, when the book came out, Scientologists were told to go buy all the copies they could find at B. Dalton and Walden Books. This is from an L.A. Times article from uh, 1990, I'm reading, uh, talking about how they, the, the Scientology bought all of the books so that they would have to go through multiple print runs. There is some real question whether the book was ever a New York Times bestselling book without that impetus. Another thing that's creepy about this book and its best-selling status, 
when I, uh, back in the early 90s when I would frequent used bookstores a lot more, I would always see copies of Dianetics on the shelves. It's a, it was a, a staple of used bookstores. When I went to go do this for this podcast, I looked for a used copy because I didn't want to give Scientology my money. Mm-hmm. I could not find a used copy anywhere, and I could not find an ebook anywhere. The reason I found out after some Googling is that Scientologists are instructed to go to used bookstores and buy up any copies they find. Because if you look at the copyright page on this book, it says that this is the original edition. It's not the original edition. This book was originally published in 1950, and we all know it's been through a bazillion editions. But it just says 1950-2007. It's a collective membership mark, trademark and service, on religious technology server, used for permission. The book... Ah, it's on the cover flap. Here is the anatomy in full description. Dianetics has remained a bestseller for more than 50 years. 20 million copies in print. Most widely read influential book ever written about the human mind. In some ways, that's just hyperbole, but in another deeply creepy way, we don't know how many times this book has been rewritten and edited. We don't know how many times it has been changed. They keep stealing back the older editions of the book so that you can't find out what they said before. There are no ebook versions because they can't remainder those. You can't get this book in any way except the version they want you to see unless you kept your version from 1950 in your hands. That's um, creepy. Yeah. This is creepy, creepy, creepy things. I feel contaminated that I have this in my house. I told my children that I'm embarrassed to read it in front of them <laughs> and that I am throwing it out or giving it to the gerbils to eat and use oh, as litter. That's unsatisfying. We have 28 gerbils in the house right now, I think. Uh, Jennifer's going to listen to this podcast and she'll correct me later. We have a lot of gerbils. Uh, We run a gerbil rescue. And I think I'm going to give this book to the gerbils so they can shit on it rather (laughs) than try to get rid of it in any other way. Uh, Send us pictures of that, please. I will do that. Um, Two other things about this. Scientology, I guess they do that with all of L. Ron Hubbard's books because they talk about it in, like, Beyond Belief that whenever a new edition would come out or whatever, everybody in the Sea Org had to buy a copy and they would cost, like, $80 or something. And right. people in the Sea Org make, like, slave wages, like, you know, like, 10 cents an hour, like, what prison inmates make. So they would really yeah. have to save up to get these books, but they all were required to. And then, meanwhile, they are donating these. They're, like, they have a foundation or whatever that donates them to basically every library in the country, like, all of L. Ron Hubbard's books. Um, So, like, my library has a full set. We didn't pay for them. They were just sort of shipped to us, and then I guess they added them to the collection. But I mentioned this on, on social media, and other librarians were like, oh, yeah, we get them, too. We get them, too. So they... I, I did actually buy a used copy of this they found somewhere on Amazon because the self-checkout at our library was broken and I was too embarrassed <laughs> to make eye contact with anyone yeah. when I yeah. checked it out. <laughs> I, I have a question, you guys, before we finish talking about, like, oh, say, uh, uh, abortion or how they raise children mm-hmm. uh, in the rest of this book, which is when you guys decided to do this for a podcast, are you worried that the Scientologists are going to come make you take it down? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm worried. Like, yeah. That's a thing. These people are frightening and creepy. I hadn't been worried because I figured like, oh, we're so small. Like, I don't think it'll be a big deal. And then Renata and some other people were talking about how worried they were on Twitter. And now I'm worried. 
Although I will say, I think a lot of how they work is like when you're already in the organization, then it's easier for them to come after you either because they can be like, oh, you owe us thousands of dollars for all these services you used, or we can blackmail you with all the weird shit you said in your auditing. I've never, like, Scientology doesn't really have anything on me that I know of, so... I feel okay on that front, although they are still, like, very... They could just sort of straight up sue us. So, listeners, if you listen to this podcast and then, like, six months later it's not there anymore, know that they got to us and they sued us for defamation or libel or something and we had to take it down. Yeah, or watch for a Patreon to support our legal fees. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. So I'm looking at the notes here about the actual book itself, right? Do we want to hit any of these highlights that we made, like Hamlet? I'm looking at the notes. Like how your mother can't do anything when she's pregnant with you, like read Hamlet. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I wrote that note, now I don't remember. I'm like, okay, we have the shared Google Doc, and sometimes I like cite things, and sometimes I just sort of like type in thoughts that I had. I will read this directly. I wrote... OMG, if your mom reads Hamlet when she's pregnant with you, it'll fuck you up. I don't remember what this is about, but it seems totally plausible. <laughs> I, I, I have a note here. There's In book three, chapter eight, he's talking about some types of engrams, which, remember, are not memories. God forbid you call them memories, because L. Ron Hubbard has to redefine the English language and make up words so that he can confuse you into going along with him. But anyway, there's a chapter on some types of engrams, Which, okay, I'll level with you people. I read fanfic. Oh, yeah. You're shocked. We all (laughs) read fanfic. If you listen to this podcast and you don't read fanfic, I strongly urge you to go check out some top-rated fanfics on AO3. They are incredibly good and very worth your time. Or visit the the guide to fanfiction that we posted at worstbestsellers.com. Yeah. Yeah. set up. (laughs) Excellent. So this chapter is bizarrely like some super weird self-insert hurt comfort fanfic of surviving abuse. Like, I read this and I felt like I knew way too much about L. Ron Hubbard that I never wanted to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like he, like, went to a kink meme and and put all these prompts, like... Oh, but what if also, while my mom was pregnant with me, my dad did this? Oh, that's fucked up. And then, somebody, and then like, wrote it for himself, basically. And he labels all of these things as different kinds of engrams, which, honest to God, doesn't matter. It, 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 who cares? Nobody cares. Many um, Scientologists care. <laughs> no one who has a foot in reality cares. <laughs> but it's just weirdly specific is the thing. Like, the difference between if you have moneyed parents and you see your nurse, nursemaid, I I think he means, coming out of the house with a suitcase in hand because she's quitting because she's an Irish girl and she has to kneel down beside the little boy and explain why she's leaving. I'm like, dude, I didn't want to know this much about you. Mm -hmm. Or, like, the difference between if your mom tried to abort you with a Lysol douche versus a paste douche. Those are different kinds of engrams. Right. Right. You can get an engram if your mom has hiccups when she's pregnant with you. (sighs) 
We should, you guys should probably go back when you edit this and put in a, a warning at the top of the podcast that we talk a lot about, about really distressing abortion fantasies. Yeah. Because this is, this was a super uncomfortable book to read. Yeah. Ugh. I feel like, like, to be honest, I feel like I haven't been talking as much in this podcast as I normally do. Like, sometimes I'll listen to them in the car and be like, Jesus Christ, I talked for 20 minutes <laughs> Why didn't anyone stop me? Mostly because I seriously did not, I, I couldn't follow this book. And what I could follow was so weird and so gross and so creepy that like, I don't even know what to say about it. Like, like his abuse fantasy about the nymphomaniacal nurse who played with his genitals. I, it's Like, what? What? Why is that even in this book? Um, another thing about L. Ron Hubbard is when he before this he wrote pulp science fiction, and his motto was first draft, last draft, get it out the door. And he would every he would just only write a first draft and then send it in because he was really going for quantity over quality. And he, like he's openly said that apparently. So I feel like Dianetics also just the first draft, first draft, last draft. One more thing about the book, uh, just just really quick here, is in the Mechanism and Aspects of Therapy chapter, which is the part about how to conduct audits, he talks a lot about how if your auditor has the same engram that you have, you can reinforce each other's engrams because the auditor will try to avoid the same painful thing that you're trying to avoid and it can make things worse and worse and worse. So what he's talking about, if you read it like six times, which I had to to figure out what the hell he meant in this chapter, there's this whole section on tacit consent where what he means is husbands and wives are either the best people to audit each other because they know each other so well, or they are the worst people to audit each other because they are trying to avoid having the same fights. And the same thing goes for parents and children. But what he ends up saying in all of this is that the solution to this is to trick each other in a husband wife relationship into being each other's auditors so that when you find something that you're both avoiding you can spring it on the other person in some some horrible trap of aha now i've caught you you have an engram about this and you think our relationship i'm like whoa dude too much information about your marriage i didn't want to know that I feel it's like, yeah, creepy. this whole book is too much information. Yeah. There's one last thing I want to say about the book, and I think we should probably move on to our dramatic readings, but uh, every chapter ends with a volcano emoji, and that, <laughs> <laughs> it looks very much like the actual volcano emoji in the iPhone, and I found that kind of charming. It's from <laughs> it's from the old 1980s commercial, which I found a YouTube video of. And were we going to put that in the show notes? Yeah, we can definitely do yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's what it's from. Volcano emoji. I remember those commercials. I'm old enough to remember those commercials. I found them confusing when I was a child. And now that I've read the book, I find them more confusing. I mean, yeah, it's, it's weird because like as a kid, I never really understood why they would, they'd like, they'd have the volcano erupting and then it would be like zoom out and it would turn into kind of the book cover right and i never really understood what the volcano had to do with anything that they were talking about in the commercial and now 
it was only when Sigrid brought up the commercials earlier when we were talking before we started recording the show that it occurred to me like to connect it to all the stuff I know about Scientology now and be like, oh, right, the volcanoes bombs that erupted from Xenu. Okay. But wait. Oh, oh, oh. Do you guys want to talk about Xenu for a minute? Yeah, I mean, he. hang on. What does the volcano have to do with Dianetics, though? I mean, nothing with Dianetics. Like, yeah, I mean, I know Xenu, but, like, as described in this book, like, there's a volcano on, like, almost every page. I think it's supposed to be the eruption of your personal power once you have cleared yourself of the engrams, which are, like, the Earth's crust keeping your personal power locked down. Shit, that's deep. (laughs) I spent a lot of time explaining this to my partner, who was kept going, well, what does that mean? Okay, but yeah, we can talk about Xenu, who is not in this book. You have to get to a higher level before you actually learn about Xenu. But I just remember I was in college when the um, South Park episode about Scientology came out. Mm. And somehow, it must have been in the news or something before that episode happened. Um, we were talking about it at the newspaper and looking it up and just like cry laughing while we were reading probably the Wikipedia entry because we couldn't believe that this was a real thing. And then the, the South Park episode happened and just confirmed everything, and we were just in shock. I think we made up our own fake religion for the humor page that was, like, very clearly a parody of Scientology because we could not believe that it was a real thing that actual humans bought into. I'm glancing at the Wikipedia page for Scientology, and I am wondering how many times it has gone back and forth in being vandalized, because it clearly says, Critics contend the church practices brainwashing and fraud against its members while attacking its perceived enemies with psychological abuse, character assassination, and vexatious litigation. Mm -hmm. The Church of Scientology uh, makes a controversial claim, blah, 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 blah. Further controversy has focused on the fact that a typical Scientologist must spend several years and about $100,000 in auditing fees before reaching OT3, the Wall of Fire, which reveals the story of galactic dictator Xenu. One of you guys want to summarize from there, or should I keep looking at the Wikipedia page? Because Xenu is wackadoo. Feel, you can feel free to keep going. I don't feel qualified. The gist of Dianetics is that once you get into Scientology, it is revealed that there are many past lives that give you engrams, which is why you have to keep paying them thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for auditing, because ultimately you are not a human being. You are a thetan, an alien trapped in a mortal shell, and your engrams come from an intergalactic space war, which happened billions of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that this, is the again. Secret. Dianetics is five hundred pages long, and none of that is in there. There's yeah more. They don't even books. explain the intergalactic DC tens. That is the secret of of Dianetics and Scientology, right there. You are an alien trapped in a human form, and the entire goal of Dianetics is to clear all your engrams and die so your thing can be released instead of trapped in another human body. When L. Ron Hubbard died after years of seclusion where no one could see him and three or four people interpreted everything he said into commands for the rest of Scientology, including David fucking Miscavige, who was an abusive psychotic, 
after he died, his death was announced as him releasing his body and ascending out of this mortal rat race because he had so finally cleared himself that his Thetan form could go home. Yep. Basically. Um, the volcano, I will say how the volcano works into it for those who might not know, is that Xenu was this like intergalactic dictator and he packed the Thetans into volcanoes, which he then exploded with hydrogen bombs, sprinkling the Thetans out into the atmosphere to be absorbed into the souls of living things. And that's a thing. By the way, the stuff you guys have been talking about is the stuff that's going to get us sued. You're allowed to talk about Dianetics, but the Xenu stuff is secret. (laughs) (laughs) Also, the fact that David Miscavige is is an abusive psychotic. That's also a big secret. But this is pretty far into it, so maybe the Scientology people would just stop listening early on. Fingers crossed. Uh, okay, that said, let's move on to our dramatic readings and spread the word of of Scientology, of Dianetics. Um, I'm going to start by just reading the... Well, it's not actually the first page, it's the second page. There's a to the reader note, and then there's this important note that I'm going to read to you. Important note. In reading this book, be very certain you never go past a word you do not fully understand. The only reason a person gives up a study or becomes confused or unable to learn is because he or she has gone past a word that was not understood. The confusion or inability to grasp or learn comes after a word the person did not have defined and understood. It may not only be the new and unusual words you have to look up. Some commonly used words can often be misdefined and so cause confusion. This datum about not going past an undefined word is the most important fact in the whole subject of study. Every subject you have taken up and abandoned had its words which you failed to get defined. Therefore, in studying this book, be very, very certain you never go past a word you do not fully understand. If the material becomes confusing or you can't seem to grasp it, there will be a word just earlier that you have not understood. Don't go any further, but go back to before you got into trouble. Find the misunderstood word and get it defined. So that's why we didn't understand this book. I guess we were not diligent enough about that. God knows I wasn't. Yeah. Would have been taking months to read it that way. Definitely. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit from later on about the how you get diagnosed with engrams and what they are and how they affect you. Um, there's a little bit of a dramatic made-up situation. No, between a real mother fact. And, real fact taken from real Real fact Latter-day. situation between Weird a mother and father. fantasy. Later on, and Renata will play the father for that role, but first I'm going to read um, an awful lot about abortions. <laughs> yep. This so this section is talking about how all your past experiences become engrams and how when you say certain things are bothering you, you don't realize that the reason they're bothering you is because they're engrams. The woman who is certain she needs a divorce or that her husband is going to murder her some night is talking out of either her own or his engrams. 
the man who comes in and says that he has a bad pain in his stomach that feels just like a number 12 gauge copper wire going straight through me has quite possibly had a number 12 gauge copper wire through him in an attempted abortion or talk of such thing while he was in pain. The man who says it has to be cut out is talking straight out of an engram, either from some operation of his own or or his mother's, or from an attempted abortion. The man who has to get rid of it is, again, possibly talking out of of an attempted abortion. The man who can't get rid of it may be talking from the same source, but from another valence. People, in short, especially when talking about Dianetics and engrams, give forth with engram talk in steady streams. They have no awareness ordinarily that the things that they are saying are minor dramatizations of their engrams and suppose that they could have concluded these things themselves or think these things. Recall that the reactive mind can think only on this equation, A equals A equals A, when the three A's may be respectively a horse, a swear word, and the verb to spit. Spitting is the same as horses is the same as God. The reactive mind is a very zealous, simple Simon, carefully stepping in each pie. Thus, when a man is told he has to delete the content of the reactive bank, he may say that if he did, he is sure he would lose all his ambition. Be assured, and how easily this proves upon therapy, and how red-eared some pre-clears become, that he has an engram which may run something like this. Blower bump, prenatal. Father. Damn it, Agnes, you've got to get rid of that goddamn baby. If you don't, we'll starve to death. I can't afford it. Mother. Oh, no, no, no. I can't get rid of it. I can't. I can't. I can't. Honest, I will take care of it. I'll work and slave and support it. Please don't make me get rid of it. If I did, I'd just die. I'd lose my mind. I wouldn't have anything to hope for. I'd lose all my interest in life. I'd lose my ambition. Please let me keep it. So... So fuck Agnes. Yeah, and sorry about all the abortions that (laughs) apparently your mother tried to have. Like, clearly like one every day. So, yeah. We skipped over the weird part where he explains that fetuses are like invulnerable like Superman and that abortions are always failures basically and that the only result of an abortion that is successful is that the mother will die taking the fetus with it which is how all these women can have these like 60 or 70 abortion attempts per child it's a weird assertion it's so strange I mean many of the things in this book are weird assertions so speaking of weird assertions are we ready for uh, my, my dramatic reading Yes. No, but yes. <laughs> I, I thought I would read about perversion as a uh, complete and entire sexual pervert. I thought I would uh, cover this ground here. My, uh, I'll just tell you now that all of my little margin notes in this read, um, and fuck you too. Huh. Uh, so here we go. It is a scientific fact that no psychosomatic ill exists without an aberration. And it is true that no aberration exists without a potential or actual psychosomatic ill. One of the psychosomatic illnesses one would least suspect to find as a psychosomatic affair is the illness of sexual perversion. The sexual pervert is actually quite ill physically. Perversion as an illness has so many manifestations that it must be spread through the entire gamut of classes from one to five listed above, which I'm not going to tell you about. 
overdevelopment of sexual organs, underdevelopment, seminal inhibition, or magnification are found some in one pervert, some in another. And the sum of it is that the pervert is always a very ill person in one way or another. He is very far from culpable for his condition, but he is also so far from normal and so extremely dangerous to society that the tolerance of perversion is as thoroughly bad for society as the punishment for it. Lacking the proper means prior to this time, society has been caught between tolerance and punishment and the problem of perversion has, of course, not been resolved. A bit off the subject here, but it can be remarked about perversion that the best previous explanation for it was something about girls becoming envious of Papa's penis or boys becoming upset about that terrible thing, the vulva, which Mama was incautious enough to show one day. It takes a great deal more than this utter tripe to make a pervert. It is rather something on the order of kicking a baby's head in, running over him with a steamroller, cutting him in half with a rusty knife, boiling him in Lysol, and all the while with crazy people screaming the most horrifying and unprintable things at him. The human being is a very tough character. He is so confoundedly tough that he has whipped the whole animal kingdom and he can shake the stars. And when it comes to throwing his second dynamic out of balance, what it takes is straight out of Dante and Sax Romer combined. Hence the pervert containing hundreds and hundreds of vicious engrams has had little choice between being dead and being a pervert. But with an effective science to handle the problem. A society which would continue to endure perversion and all its sad and sordid effects doesn't deserve to survive. The belief that sex was the only source of humor aberration and travail naturally attracted us as practitioners individuals with similar aberrative patterns, and so the cult further enforced existing aberrative factors in the society. Perversion. Solved. Solved. Well, no, that's just the part about what perversion is. He then, actually, I read this very carefully because, you know, I'm a pervert. <laughs> and I read this trying to figure out when he actually solves perversion. It doesn't happen <laughs> until like 400 pages later where he's talking about auditing, where he says that you can then get through all these engrams. And once you get through all of your prenatal engrams and all of your abortion attempts, then you will stop being a homosexual. Guys, real talk. How long do you think it would take Christian Grey to get clear? Oh my god. He's well, like he real al- fucked up. He's mm. already basically like super in touch with his engrams all the time, having all those weird fucked up dreams and like being super obsessed with his dead prostitute Coke core mother. But he's not clearing his engrams. He's reliving them. He's re-stimulating them. Re-stimulating. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. how could I make a mistake? <laughs> Again, I-, I wanted to read that because what 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 Hubbard is basically saying is the only way you could possibly be a homosexual is if you have been so repeatedly prenatally abused that it is the equivalent of being boiled in Lysol as a baby. Boiled in Lysol. Where does that even come from, Ron? What did you pull that out of the air? 
Like, why is that a thing that keeps coming up in your weird-ass book about babies being boiled in Lysol? It's a strange thing, Ron. I have questions. <laughs> and this is, um, you know, in, in Going Clear, which, again, we do recommend, um, but a lot of it is about Paul Haggis, who's a film director and screenwriter who defected from Scientology, and he's sort of kind of the frame narrative for Going Clear and why he finally defected was because um, of Scientology's uh, viewpoints on LGBT people because I think his son came out as gay and he was like, oh. So he was, you know, good for him for getting out of that. But that's like, that was finally the straw that broke his back out of all of the cuckoo banana things of Scientology. We can talk about Danny Advisor, but Haggis is an interesting character, yeah. No, I don't mean character, I mean person. Um, okay, so that's that, and we'll move on to Would You Rather. Uh, would you rather read another Dianetics book, because there are several others, or be thrown into the turbulent ocean, which was a common punishment for Sea Org members who failed LRH? Uh, turbulent ocean, sometimes I do that for fun, and fun is the opposite of Dianetics, and... Basically, I I would rather do most things than read another Dianetics book, even if they're supposed to be punishments. I, uh, I, I, this morning for my son's birthday, he went water jetpacking on a lake here in Minnesota. And I stayed on the dock because I loathe water and I don't like being on boats. Even with a jetpack? And the idea of being... (laughs) flung through the air by water and then plunging into water only to be flung into the air by water again and then falling back into water. Water, which is full of creatures and things you can't see and is also trying constantly at every single moment to kill you. I stayed on the dock. I would rather be thrown into the turbulent ocean than read another fucking Dianetics book. The ocean is where God hides his mistakes. Like (laughs) cephalopods. I, didn't, I had to credit that joke to Ryan North, but I think it's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I am on record as being a hater of most sea life. And yeah, I'm going to have to jump in the ocean as well. I just, I just couldn't handle it. It's, I mean, this was really the worst thing we've read. Here's the thing about the ocean. The ocean is comprehensible and makes sense, and you stand a chance of rescue. It's true. Yeah, and, like, I mean, the phrasing, being thrown into the ocean, that sort of presumes that there's somebody there who threw you. Eventually, maybe they'd come back for you. Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, my dad used to throw us into the ocean. Like, not in, like, the middle of the ocean, but when we were on the seashore, you know. Wait, Kate, is this is this real or is this an engram? Are you... <laughs> Are you remembering something that happened to you while you were a fetus? Do we need to repeat this a hundred times? We'll pause the recording. <laughs> okay, well, let's all let's climb out of the ocean. And would you rather be audited by a Scientologist or attend group therapy with Christian Gray? Christian Gray, Christian Gray, Christian Gray. <laughs> oh my god. I absolutely would want to attend group therapy with Christian Gray. Like, maybe even for fun. Ew, because really? he, like, reading the book was tedious, but I love gossip. 
And I would mm. love to hear him just like tell his whole crack addict apple orchard statutory cigarette rate. burn. Yeah, like go for it. I want to hear it. <laughs> Listening to Christian Grey would be like a Tory Hayden book, whereas attending uh, being audited by a Scientologist would be like reading a Tory Hayden book, except it's all your fault. <laughs> also, group therapy, I think, more likely to be covered by insurance. Probably yeah, gonna, yeah. even if not, probably gonna be less expensive than being audited. Also, in group therapy, there's presumably other people there. They might be more interesting than a Scientologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. The choice is clear. Group therapy with Christian Grey. Mm-hmm. Okay, last up. Would you rather practice Scientology or The Secret? And a devoted practice of The Secret would involve, um, like, a really elaborate vision board that you'd have to start your day thinking about and just, like, real positive thoughts all the time forever. I mean, I feel like The Secret, because even though The Secret is kind of inherently classist and racist and like has all the problems that we talked about when we did that episode at the end of the day they're not actually hurting anyone and they're not you know asking me to write them thousands of dollars worth of checks the universe is giving you thousand dollars worth of checks yeah you know if i think about them hard enough Mm -hmm. When I inevitably failed out either of these cult systems (laughs) of self-improvement, which I would fail out of either of them, the secret is not going to take my children and my livelihood away from me and try to get my house repossessed. I will go with the secret. Yeah, same. Okay, so that, um, I guess what we've learned. I like arts and crafts and shit, so, you know, vision board would be pretty cool. Oh, I don't, I'd be terrible at that part of it. Oh, God. (laughs) But not as terrible at it as I would be at Scientology. Yeah. I think we're just not not yet converted to Scientology, basically. That's what we've learned. Duh. Uh, okay. Well, let's move on to some reader's advisory to suggest some things to read instead of or in addition to Dianetics. Which I gotta say straight up, in a, or instead of. Do not read this. It It's not funny. It's not no. interesting. It's just really difficult and a slog and confusing like when you guys did the outlander podcast i went and watched the tv show because i thought you know for all of your harping on herbs that sounds like a tv show i would like and i really enjoyed it this is not one of those situations no don't read this read the wikipedia page Mm -hmm. yeah especially read the wikipedia page for this book because I was looking at it this morning, and it was clearly, like we were talking before about the back and forth of the Scientology Wikipedia page, mm-hmm. the Dianetics Wikipedia page was clearly most recently edited by someone who hates Scientology, because instead of talking about the book at all, it basically talks about how Scientology is garbage, and L. Ron Hubbard is the worst. It was pretty funny, actually. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so don't read this. Um, We've mentioned the book Going Clear by Lawrence Wright many, many times. I definitely recommend it. It's really interesting. Or if if you're in a hurry, you don't have time for that. The book was kind of um, born out of a New Yorker article called The Apostate by by Paul Haggis, who we mentioned earlier. So if you're in a hurry, just read the New Yorker article. We'll link to that. But I really do recommend the book. Um, I haven't watched the documentary yet. I'm interested in it. Uh, I hear it's good, though. Lawrence, writes, uh, Lawrence Wright is, is the guy's name, and, and Going Clear is a really serious attempt to be an even-handed 
look at Scientology and particularly at Hubbard's biography, which has been deliberately obfuscated in so many ways and in so many places. But Wright is making such an effort to try to give you factual information mm -hmm. in what is an impossible situation that I actually I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, more than I would recommend some of the other Scientology exposés and tell-alls because Wright is a journalist and he is trying so hard to give you facts. Yeah, like I read Beyond Belief by um, Jenna Miscavige-Hill, who's the niece of is that right miscavige Mis yeah okay Mis the niece of david miscavige who is the head was is i think is, is the head of scientology and she left the church and that book was really interesting to me it's a lot of just like nitty-gritty details about growing up in the church and how bananas it is but it's nothing like going clear is a really good overview of everything if you're only going to read one book about scientology i would definitely recommend going clear be that one book I would also highly recommend, I've mentioned the Dead Authors podcast on here before, and there was, there's two episodes actually where Andy Daly plays L. Ron Hubbard, and they are two of the funniest, I mean, they're so funny. I've listened to both of them like two or three times and just laughed at them so much. Like, Andy Daly is a great community. He is perfect for the kind of just total, full-on hubris of L. Ron Hubbard. It's a fantastic. Definitely check those out. Also, um, I mentioned before to the South Park episode about Scientology is pretty hilarious and pretty spot on and definitely highly recommend that. And also just a couple of weeks ago, John Oliver did a segment on Last Week Tonight about it was about televangelists and how they just like flaunt how much money they take from their congregations Oh. And my, my family, my son loved that episode. He thought it was hilarious. And my partner, Jennifer, actually called, called them and called the hotline. Huh? <laughs> but it, it's it a lot of the stuff that he says about for profit churches and all sorts of things like that also ring true a lot for Scientology. And it came up at work while I was reading Dianetics. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I see a connection here. So I'd recommend that as well, especially in you know, instead of reading this book, just, just yeah. watch John Oliver. He's very funny. Um, I'll also, we'll, we'll have the full list of recommendations up at worstbestsellers.com. Um, in addition, moving away a little bit from things that are strictly about Scientology, I really enjoy reading books about cults in general. And one that I read recently that I really liked was called The Sacred Lies of Minnow Bly by Stephanie Oakes. It's a young adult novel about a fictional cult called the Kevinians who follow the teachings of Kevin and Minnow. And it's this very um, patriarchal uh, doomsday prepper type cult. And Minnow Bly is a teenage girl who starts to rebel against the cult. They cut her hands off. It's like this very appalling scene that like you can't forget ever. And then uh, it's about what happens to her after that. And I would recommend that. Duh. Yeah. Okay. I had a, a couple recommendations about books uh, about faith, essentially, and looking for answers. Um, there's an author, Kate Braystrup, who is fantastic and has a couple of books out. I recommend her first book, Here If You Need Me, in which she describes the experience of being a minister to law enforcement officers, like the chaplain 
for people who are constantly dealing with death and tragedy. And she interweaves this narrative of her ministry with the death of her husband and her experience of that grief and how both of these things relate to God. If you are looking, dear listener, if you are looking for answers in life as to why you do not feel like your life is everything it could be and why you feel unhappy and why you feel like you don't fit in anywhere, if you are looking for answers to anything, I highly, highly recommend that you never, ever look at Dianetics or Scientology and you instead go read the books of Kate Braestrup, who is compassionate and empathetic and forgiving of human foible and who understands that grief and anger and failure are part an essential part of the human condition and that it is those moments where we seem our weakest that give us the greatest grace and forgiveness and connection with other human beings. Kate Braestrup will never berate you for not understanding what she is saying. She will not say that you are too smart for this and it is not your fault and it is your fault and you fucking can't do it and why can't you do it and join my religion and pay me more money. She will instead say, you are a complex, wonderful human being. Here's how I found God. Go read Kate Braestrup. Don't read this. Who can argue with that? Not me. <laughs> um, okay, so again, that, that whole list will be up at worstbestsellers.com and our reader's advisory page for this episode. And now we'll move on to our candy pairing where we will suggest a candy to go with this book. The candy that I came up with is actually not a candy, um, but rather an apple with a razor blade inside. Like your parents always warn you someone's going to give you on Halloween um, because your parents warned you about taking food slash audits from strangers, but you didn't listen. And it was supposed to be good for you, but now you have a razor stuck in your mouth. And also somehow it was all your parents' fault for trying to abort you with a razor when you were a fetus. That is so appropriate. Uh, I recommended Candy Blocks, B-L-O-X, which are a, a candy that looks like a Lego because they give every impression of being a useful thing which would either be tasty or you could use to build art or entertainment or would fulfill you in some way. But they shatter when you try to use them into dust and ashes and taste like shit besides. And I picked a Laffy Taffy with a misprinted wrapper because... Um, you know, Laffy Taffy, it's it's not my favorite candy, doesn't taste great, but at least it's like, oh, maybe I'll get some kind of dumb joke out of this. But in this one, you flip it over, you can't even read the joke. You thought maybe it'd be funny, and it's it's nonsense. Yeah. And that's this book. So now we'll move on and attempt to play our favorite game, The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, and Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And Sigrid will pick which one would best enhance the book or choose paper, which is leaving it as is. So this one was a little tough because uh, it's not like a novel with a plot, but I think we did our best. And uh, if The Rock were into Scientology, he would be pretending to be into Scientology. So he'd get like pretty far into the church politics because he's the rock. So everyone loves him and trusts him, obviously. But then he would use his power and notoriety to expose Scientology as garbage and save all the poor people brainwashed by it. The end. Yeah, again, it's it's a little tricky to figure out how to put Wolverine into this because there's not really a narrative. But I, I think that Wolverine maybe would 
get interested in Scientology because of its promise that if you go clear, you can recover all of your memories, including like when you're a fetus and in past lives. And Wolverine famously has a lot of missing memories. So he would maybe check it out and then he would quickly realize it's all bullshit and probably throw his auditor through a wall or something and just like berserker rage. And then I think uh, he would hunt down L. Ron Hubbard or I guess David Miscavige if it's present day, because L. Ron Hubbard is not in this mortal coil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he would hunt down whoever's in charge in this physical plane of existence and punch him in the face until he would publicly recant his, air quotes, religion. I would, in this case, have to go with snicked, because... I would worry too much that Scientologists might actually hurt The Rock, and I care about The Rock, and I like to see him happy, and I don't <laughs> want to see his career hurt, and I desperately, desperately want to see Wolverine punch David Miscavige in the face repeatedly in public where everyone can see it, and we can have it on YouTube forever. Oh, it'd be great, right? That's a good point, yes. All right. Um. Either way, I think the real winner is... None of us, because we all read this book. True. But thanks for playing, and we'll move on (laughs) (laughs) to the moral of the story, which I've got a little bit of a turnabout here. Often, books that we've read, the moral has been white men are the worst, but I think that the moral of Dianetics is actually that women are the worst, especially mothers. Just the worst. I would say my moral of the story is that it's not about hating women. It's about ethics and going clear. (laughs) Very clever. Very clever. I like that. Uh, And unfortunately, my moral is not that different, which is the reason you can't get ahead in life is because mothers, doctors, and parents keep you down. They just don't understand. It's true. Your engrams. Okay. And now we'll move on to Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte has a moment to share his opinions about this book. All right. Thank you, Duarte. That's very thoughtful. You're right. He didn't really talk about um, if animals have engrams. I don't know. Well, I mean, cats are already so perfect that... Obviously, they've already gone clear. That makes sense. I, I, I'm not sure that, that Hubbard actually thinks that cats are that perfect. I'm, I'm sorry, Duarte. I don't mean to disagree with you. So just, just wait, wait. Hang on, hang on one second, Duarte. Hang on a second. Wait, 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 wait. Um, what, what I think is going on here is that Hubbard actually knows that cats can see through his bullshit. Mm. See, see there. That, that, right, right. Exactly. Just what you said. Um. <laughs> And because that, he just didn't address the whole cat situation at all for fear of um, being unavoidably countered by the cat's argument. You know, the other thing, too, is there are other volumes of this. We read the first one, but there's, like, Dianetics for the Workplace. Maybe there is a Dianetics for Cats uh, volume that we just didn't read. I don't think he'd be able to find his target audience. Yeah. I don't think the cats would read it. Maybe it's just one that he never got around to. I mean, cats are pretty famous for not telling, doing what other people tell them to do. So right. maybe he just figured it was a lost cause and moved on. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that, that's where I'm going. I think he's afraid of the cats. Fair enough. All right. Uh, closing thoughts from any humans. 
I never thought I would say this, but I'm so excited to read New Moon. <laughs> like, that's like literally what I kept thinking while I was finishing this up was, I'll be reading a Twilight book soon and everything will be okay. Yeah, I think it's, I think this is good for us to have a new low point because everything else we read for the next few months is just going to be like, Whew. at least it wasn't Dianetics, you'll think. Yeah. My- my, my closing thought is essentially that I'm really glad that I actually, despite my embarrassment at reading this in front of my children, <laughs> I, I'm glad that they got to see me read it and listen to me quote from it because uh, it led to a number of really, we homeschool our kids, and it led to a number of really good conversations about cults and how to not fall for them and the typical maneuvers that cults do to make you feel off balance and like you need to appease them. And it was led to some really good conversations with my children uh, about uh, abusive relationships in a personal or group environment and I thought that was a very useful thing ultimately that's the one good thing out of got out of Dianetics is how to teach my children to not fall for this fucking bullshit oh that is great I'm glad that glad that happened other parents reading this listening to this so you probably don't you don't need to read the book but that is probably a good conversation to have with your kids just, just read maybe the wikipedia. based on wikipedia you could yeah do that yeah, I'd say the one good thing I got out of Dianetics was a new doorstop because that is literally all that this piece of garbage is going to be good for. Gerbils. I'm going to give it to the gerbils. They're going to chew it up and they're going to shit on it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, uh, so follow us on Twitter at Worst Bestseller or like us on Facebook, the Worst Bestseller spelled normally. And when Sigrid gives us pictures of that, we will share them via our social media. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, in addition to following us on Twitter and liking us on Facebook, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, and please rate and review us, and otherwise we might actually make you read this book. <laughs> no, no. That's too, not even fun. That's too cruel of a threat. <laughs> Literally the worst threat we've ever given in return for <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, You can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14across. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Sigrid Ellis. And if you want to find me anywhere else on the internets, I am the only Sigrid Ellis on the entire internets. Google my name. I'm who shows up. Hooray. <laughs> okay, I hope you're still listening and didn't tune out when we started our spiel because we actually have an exciting announcement, which is that our next episode is going to be the one-year anniversary of Worst Bestsellers. Yay! And, Yay! and as I alluded to earlier in celebration of that, the very first episode that we did was Twilight. So we'll be reading New Moon. Um, and to sort of add a twist, an a special celebratory anniversary twist to this, we are trying to devise a New Moon uh, drinking game. That specifically that we'll play while we record the podcast. Not while we're reading the book. So by the end of the hour and change, we'll, we should be drunkenly giving you our opinions about the Cullen family. So what we're looking for from you listeners is just any suggestions. You know, if you want to tweet at us or send it on Facebook or email us at worstbestsellers at gmail.com. Things like, you know, drink every time you say the word vampire, but not that one because it'll get wasted. Or, you know, <laughs> drink every time... Uh, Bella stumbles. Yeah. 
Oh my god, I cannot start giving you suggestions right now, can I? That's cheating. I have to stop. Okay, quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Tweet them at us. Um, And then also we're planning, um, as of right now, Twilight is streaming on Netflix. We're hoping they keep it up there for at least another month. We're tentatively looking at having a Twilight movie tweet along on Sunday, October 4th. So clear your calendars just in case and follow us on social media for updates on that exciting development. And... Uh, I guess that's all. Thanks so much to Sigrid for joining us, and we really do appreciate you reading all of this book. Oh my god. I really, really appreciate you guys for having me on, because I did, in fact, volunteer, and now I feel like I've learned something, uh, which is that I never want anything to do with this ever again. <laughs> Good. We're, we're glad that you pushed, uh, pushed you off us. You know, it's fine. That is what we want all of our guests to learn. Never volunteer. <laughs> Don't talk to anyone or read any books. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to us for almost a whole year. And we'll see you in two weeks with New Moon. Drunken New Moon, hopefully. Bye. L. Ron Hubbard hates women and doctors, and the podcast is done.